All right, let's look at our scripture, which can be found in the book of James, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Um, This is what it says. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the other man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. The word of the Lord. Well, we have two visitors that I want to draw your attention to. Uh, One you may know, his name is Matthew McConaughey, uh, the famous actor. In fact, I don't see him in the congregation right now. He must have stepped out to the bathroom. Uh, But Matthew McConaughey, in fact, is here with us. Uh, You know something about him. He was an Academy Award winner in 2014. He's appeared in numerous movies. He's a handsome fellow, if you're into that sort of thing. He's... uh, He's accomplished, he's rich, uh, he's a fantastic guy, and we're really, really glad to have him with us, I would say, on behalf of the entire congregation. We have another person with us as well. His name is Unknown. We don't actually know who he is. He came in off the street and looks very much like it, Uh, probably a homeless person. Uh, No accomplishments that we know of, probably none that we would be interested in. Not very put together at all compared to our other guest, Matthew McConaughey. I'm obviously speaking facetiously here as I'm speaking of these two characters. But it does beg the question, if they actually both were here, how would we treat these two people if they came in at the same time? How would we treat McConaughey compared to this homeless person? I dare to say that possibly we would have treated McConaughey better. He would give us a good feeling, right? That he was with us, that he was a part of our congregation, in some way would make us feel better about ourselves, particularly if he was coming to stay. Imagine if we had someone of such great import as Matthew McConaughey, what that could do for our congregation in terms of bringing other people in, as opposed to this other person that we have no name for. And James condemns us for showing favoritism. In James 2.1, he says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. What James is saying is that we have to readjust our perceptions, the way that we look at people, the way that we treat people, We need to stop treating them as the world treats them, but rather as Christ would treat them. You see, because Jesus honored us when we were nothing, 
We should honor all people equally, from the least to the greatest. And so James, in this passage, gives us three points that we can, uh, that we can go off of. Number one, James offers a condemnation, condemnation of our behavior. Number two, he offers an explanation, an explanation as to why we should treat one another equally. And finally, he gives us a prescription, prescription of how to do that, a condemnation, an explanation, and a prescription. So let's begin with point number one, James's condemnation. As James, as I said in verse one, James says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. This word partiality uh, from the root part, uh, meaning don't segment, don't segment out people, putting people in one group or putting people in another group. The Greek literally means to accept a face. Partiality means to accept a face. In other words, to choose someone based on their appearance. You accept them based on the externals of their life. And it says to show no partiality, to not accept a face this way, to not part people. Well, why do we show partiality to people? I think I just explained it a little bit. With a rich person that walks into our congregation, a popular person, we start to think, what could they do for us? What good they could do for the church with their money and their influence? And we can feel good about ourselves because they're a part of our esteemed congregation. But we're not supposed to look at people that way. Why? Because we're followers of Jesus Christ. Notice it says, my brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. See, we are Christians. If you are a follower of Christ, I acknowledge that there are probably people here today who may be seekers who are looking to see if the claims of Jesus Christ are true, and we welcome you here today. But speaking to Christians, the word Christian literally means little Christ. We are little Christs, and so we are to live and walk in Jesus' shoes. And to show partiality is counter to God's character, isn't it? Notice these words from the scripture. This is Deuteronomy 10, 17 from the Old Testament. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. When he gave the law in Deuteronomy 16, 19, he commanded the Israelites, do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the word of the righteous. Even the enemies of Jesus knew that Jesus didn't treat people this way. Verse uh, Luke 20, 21, Jesus' opponents asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality but truly teach the word of God, the way of God. Now, is this meaning that we are not to make any distinctions between people whatsoever? No, I don't think he means, uh, he doesn't mean that it's wrong to make appropriate distinctions. It would be totally wrong to condemn, for instance, an usher who met an elderly person at the door and helped them to come in uh, to the sanctuary. But what he means is a self-serving discrimination based upon shallow externals. 
And so James gives this illustration, as I did in the beginning, to, to show what he's talking about. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. So we have this one man who comes in uh, wearing fine clothing. This word fine in the Greek, mean, uh, the word is lampos, from where we get the word lamp. In other words, he comes in and he's wearing, he's radiant. He's wearing magnificent clothing. He's wearing sumptuous wear. He's a, he's a very, very well, or she is a very, very well put together person. They're wearing gold. It's clear that this person has some standing. But there's this other poor person who comes in in shabby clothing. And this word shabby could be translated filthy or squalid or dirty. It's a homeless person. And we in, in, in our culture, I think we can grasp this, but we need to understand that in our culture, we, there is a very, very strong middle class. But in this culture, there really was made up of the haves and the have-nots. A church was made up, and mostly the church mirrored the population. And so it was a vast majority of the have-nots with a smattering of the haves. And there was a great distance, if you will, between these two groups of people. They're opposite sides of the spectrum. And James says, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and you say... Sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. In other words, if you take the first person and you usher them over to the best seat in the house and you say to them, are, are you comfortable? And you begin to dote on them to make sure that they are comfortable simply because of their sumptuousness, because they are uh, dressed to the nines, if you will. And then the other person, you basically... Uh, toss off, go, go sit over there, or, or if you can't find a seat, you can sit at my feet. James says, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You've made distinctions based on appearance, which is totally against the gospel, is it not? Imagine how this affects the people these two people who came into the congregation, how it makes them feel. The first man, the one who is wealthy, it affirms his value based on his money. In other words, it's a com communicating a message to him that you don't need Jesus. You have everything that you have. It's perverting the gospel by communicating a false message of acceptance based on what you possess rather than the grace of God. And the second person, the person with the shabby clothing, what is our conduct communicating to them? Essentially, that you don't belong. This person has come to church to hear the gospel, and the message that's being communicated to them is, you don't belong. I don't know if you've read much of the work of a, uh, I don't know if she's a psychologist, she's a professor, her name is Brene Brown. She's done a lot of groundbreaking work on shame. And this is her definition of shame. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love or belonging. Can you identify with the poor man, this, 
this feeling of not belonging, of not being good enough. I think we all can identify with that uh, feeling at some point or time. And when we show favoritism in this way and make distinctions, God doesn't make. And the problem is our heart is full of evil motives and thoughts. What we're communicating to that person is that you're not good enough. We're saying something is not wrong with me that is wrong with you. And therefore, I have the right, the ability, even the duty to exclude you, to make sure you feel like you don't belong. James condemns this behavior, and we should too. Rather, we should treat people without partiality. I remember when I was on staff with Young Life in Williamsburg, and I was going to a church in Williamsburg, and uh, it was one of those graduation Sundays where the William and Mary students were graduating, and they were standing up and saying what was going on next for them. And, uh, you know, it was a large church, so there was a fair amount of graduates. And I remember one gal who stood up, and she was going to be a translator with Wycliffe, uh, Bible translators. They, they go all around the world and they translate the Bible from foreign lang- uh, you know, in foreign languages into the written word. And so she was going to some unnamed place, some small place where she was going to spend her time, spend her life translating the Bible. And, you know, a very, very noble thing. And, and uh, you know, people clapped uh, very politely for her as they clapped for everyone else. And then it got to a guy named Mike Cook, who was a great guy, by the way, who was a friend who I liked. Mike was a uh, preseason, I don't know if he ended up being an All-American, but he was a quarterback for William and Mary. And he had been invited to play for the Cleveland Browns, or at least to try out. And his, very humbly said, my name is Mike Cook, and I'm going to play football for the Cleveland Browns. And, you know... The crowd went crazy to to a man, you know, uh, you know, standing up. I, I don't, I don't remember if they stood up. I shouldn't say that, but they were enthusiastic. And when you think about it, there's something very, very wrong about that. There's something, something very skewed about that. Not that that wasn't a great accomplishment. Nothing about that. But the point that I'm trying to make is that we should be different than the world, right? Do we do this with people? A rich person comes in, who's dressed to the nines, who's popular, who's influential, and a poor person comes in, who's shabby and frankly smells. They deserve equal honor, do they not? So let's show equal honor to people, not only in the church, But on the street, how do we treat people? Do we move to the side or do we engage people and give them dignity? Do we treat them with honor and respect regardless of their external appearance? That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. This leads me to my second point, explanation. Verse five, listen my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him. Now notice, this is generally true, but it's not invariably true, is it? There's multiple times when God has chosen wealthy people to become heirs of the kingdom of God. I think of people like Abraham, John, Zacchaeus, 
Levi, Joseph of Arimathea, who are all wealthy. But there is a way in which God works. The poor are generally more receptive to the gospel because there is more of a humility in them than there are in the rich. Think of that beautiful song that Mary sang when Mary met Elizabeth. Uh, We're talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Mary sings this beautiful song, and she says, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. God lifts up the humble, right? But he brings down those who exalt themselves. Paul put it this way in our praying the scripture passage, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise by worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world to shame uh, and even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. What he's saying is that God has chosen these type of people to be rich in faith and inheritors of the kingdom, so we should regard them highly as well. See, the reality is we are those people, right? We tend to look on those people as those people. But the Bible is saying there isn't those people. You are those people because God chose you and you are a thing that is not And he's made you someone who you are. See, we must love them because we are them. What is the basis on which Christ set his affection on you? Was it because of the sumptuousness of your clothing? Was it because of the great list of your accomplishments? Was it because of all you have achieved? Or rather, was it because of his grace and his mercy that he set his affection on you? See, we're just like them. We are them. And we must love them because we are them. Then he goes on. He continues to show issues with rich people. But you have dishonored the poor men. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Again, this is generally true, but not universally true. But if you look, it's the rich It's the intelligent, it's the influential, by and large, that are the biggest uh, uh, opponents of Christianity. Look in the time of Jesus, right? Who were the ones who were pushing back against Jesus, his opponents? It was the Pharisees, it was the teachers of the law, it was the lawyers, it was the ruling class, those of money, those were the ones that headed out for Jesus, and the apostles in the book of Acts. It's those who drag you into court, James says. It's only the rich that can hire attorneys, right? The poor need a public defender. They're not lodging lawsuits. James is saying you're paying homage to the very people who are persecuting you. 
See, we think that they can help us, the wealthy and the powerful, with our budget and with the influence they provide, but often, not always, the reverse is true. What you need to understand is in Christianity, the way up is down, and the way down is up. Jesus demonstrated his effectiveness for the kingdom not by becoming rich, but by becoming poor. Remember that uh, passage in Philippians that Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being bound in, uh, found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus came from a poor family. He had no place to lay his head. Even at his death, he was laid in a borrowed tomb. And he triumphed over death by being executed. He loved people. And he empathized with them by becoming like them. And it doesn't get more empathetic than the cross. Because at the cross, Jesus, the one who never knew shame, who eternally dwelt with the Father and the Spirit, became the shamed one. The ultimate shamed one. And because Jesus emptied himself and empathized with the lowest of the low, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. I don't know if you've seen this show on TV, Undercover Boss. Anybody seen Undercover Boss? Real interesting concept. You know, the CEO of one of these major corporations you know, who makes tens of millions of dollars a year, goes ahead and dresses and becomes incognito, uh, the lowest level worker to go work at the company. And it's very interesting as you see him or her bumbling along trying to figure out the job and kind of how they're treated by everyone else around them. And some people treat them very well and some people treat them very poorly. And at the very end, the boss, you know, calls in people and you know, and, and uh, either, you know, gives them a thumbs up or, or you know, sends them for more training because they clearly, you know, don't know, you know, how to treat people. But almost to, almost to a man or to a woman, uh, it gives them an entire new perspective and ability to empathize with people because they have gone from the highest of the heights to the lowest of the low. See, that's what God did, didn't he? Though he was the highest of the high, he went to the lowest of the low. In fact, he went lower than the lowest of the low and humbled himself and became obedient to death on the cross. And he was able to see us as we were because he became like us. See, we can no longer see people in the world like the rest of the world sees them. I mean, if God operated on this basis with you and me, what seat would we have been given in the kingdom of God? We were given the best seat in the house, weren't we? Though we didn't deserve it. So are you assigning grades to people as they walk in the door? A, B, D, F over there. I'm not pointing at anyone specifically. 
We must see people like Christ sees them. They're worthy of our lives. They're worthy of us laying down our lives. We must value people with our attitude, with our time, with our money. We must acknowledge that in the kingdom, the way to go up is to go down. The way to be powerful is to be marginalized. What the world needs more than anything is people who treat people with dignity. Not by the size of their pocketbook, not by the color of their skin, not by the shape of their body, but treating people because they're worthy of respect and dignity. This brings me to my final point, the prescription. Verse eight, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself you are doing well. James gives us a prescription, a, a baseline of how to treat someone is not on their external appearance. It's based on how we want to be treated. It's called the royal law, right? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And how do you and I want to be treated? Is it on the basis of our externals? How I look? How I dress? What I earn? Don't you want to say to people who treat you like that that there's so much more to me than that? We want people to notice us, to say you belong. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you came. You came. I notice you to care about us irregardless of what we do or have. Everybody else is the same way. The reality is we are not that different, you and I. And people aren't that different. And so we must employ the royal law. We have a built-in guide, if you will. How should I treat someone? Love your neighbor as yourself. As it says here, when I love my neighbor, as I love myself, I am doing well. But James finishes with verse nine. If you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. The point, my friends, is that I can miss it. If I can fathom all mysteries, and I can do all things and know all things, and yet I have not love, I am nothing. So let us love people as we love ourselves. Let us do it here in the church. When we go to work tomorrow, in the office, the person in the cubicle across from us. Let us love them, treat them as we would want to be treated. In our home, our spouse, our children, our relatives, let us love them as we love ourselves. If you do what the royal law commands you to do, you are doing well. Because Jesus honored us, when we were nothing, we should honor all people equally, from the least to the greatest. Jesus did that for us. And by God's spirit and by his grace, we can and should and will do it for others as well. Let's pray. I thank you um, for the seat that you gave me in your house. Um, Jesus, when you saw me, 
Um, you did not look at my record. You did not look at my accomplishments. You did not look at my appearance. Uh, you looked on me with your great heart and you loved me and you gave me the best seat in the house. God, let us look on other people like that as well. And it's only by your grace, it's only by your spirit that we can do this. But you're in us and you give us the power and the strength to see rightly. So we pray that we would be a congregation that loves and cares and sees for this is what you have called us to do. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.